Hi, friends. Hello, should I delete that, listeners? We still have some tickets left for our live tour and we would absolutely love to see you there. On Thursday, the 23rd of May, we will be performing in the London Islington Assembly Hall. On Monday, the 27th of May, we will be in Salford. On Tuesday, the 28th of May, we'll be in Glasgow. Sunday, the 2nd of June, Birmingham. Monday, the 3rd of June, Bristol. And Tuesday, the 4th of June in Southampton. You can get your tickets at aegpresents.co.uk or via the link in the show notes or our Instagram bios. We really hope we see you there. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. We are so happy and proud that this episode is sponsored by Butternut Box, a brand that we love for many reasons. As you'll probably already know if you follow us both on Instagram, Butternut Box is a fresh dog food delivery service that delivers straight to your door and takes into consideration all of your dog's dietary needs. The brand started with a rescue dog, which we obviously love, and Betty and Boa have absolutely thrived on it. Butternut Box genuinely care about their dogs and their ethos is that good enough for the dog is not good enough. Dogs deserve better. The meals are comprised of quality meat, veg, lentils, vitamins and minerals and don't contain any grain, wheat, gluten, corn, soy or sugar, all of which are known to cause intolerances in dogs. We haven't been asked to say this, but we wanted to highlight the huge amount of work that Butternut Box do with dog charities. They donate meals to dogs in shelters and they even donate freezers so that the shelters can store the meals. If you would like to try Butternut Box out for your dog, you can get 50% off your first two boxes with the following link. www.butternutbox.com forward slash Alex and M. Oh my God, why did I post that? Ah, I don't know what to do. Should I delete that? Yeah, you should definitely delete that. <laughs> I'm sorry, I need to stop yawning. Fuck, <laughs> there you go. Hello, he's giving it to me. <sighs> <laughs> the state of that. What a way to start the episode. Good Hi. morning. Hello. Happy Monday. Happy Monday. Monday. How you doing? I'm good. I'm good. I come to you from a premiere in, which I have to say are totally underrated, I think, premiere ins. I just think they're great. You want to know something really jokes about premiere in? Go on. Um, so we went to go and stay in one after, and this this is completely like tarnished the memory, t- tarnished the brand for me now. Um, but and it's not even their fault, it's our fault. <laughs> but we went to go and stay in one after my friend Chess's wedding last year. And when we got back to the, we were so like it was unholy how drunk we were. It was so bad, and we got <laughs> back to um, the premiere and we got into our room, and Alex, my Alex, was so drunk he lifted the duvet, the bottom sheet, and the mattress protector, and lay underneath the mattress protector <laughs> because he oh, felt it was the duvet. God. Oh my god. He woke up in the morning and it was just like, oh my god. Like the realization, a very discolored mattress, even more discolored uh, mattress protector, and him in between them. 
Oh, that's rank. It I mean, was. that is, I wouldn't want to sleep on an actual mattress in any hotel, but that's, that no, is rank. And I mean any hotel, because if you, you think about it, it doesn't matter. Yeah, it's it's like the Premier Inn or the Ritz, it doesn't make a difference because it's like hairy butt and hairy butt. You know what I mean? Like Exactly. It's people. It's people. And things do get through to mattresses. They do. Oh, they God. do. They do. Spunk does. Piss does. Shit'll do Period. it. Period. Yeah. Period actually is probably something that I would mind the least. I'd rather sleep on someone's period than spunk. Oh my God, 100%. Yeah, 100%. It's annoying for... It's bad brand for the period that it comes up so dark because it's actually a very inoffensive thing to me. But because it's blood, obviously. And you know what? We've listened to enough true crime in our lives. Like, my mind leaks. I see blood on a hotel mattress. I'm like, that's the thing. <gasps> oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> It does, it, it, it does sort of, um, yeah, a lot. It does spark alarm bells. But I would much rather look at blood than spunk. I'm oh, God, 100%. yeah. And I'd rather have blood, someone else's blood on me than someone else's spunk on me. Oh, my God. A thousand percent. I, I caveat, like, a stranger's blood and a stranger's spunk. Yeah, and also, yeah, possibly, like, ignoring the, the, the possibility of getting diseases from blood, but I don't know. Well, there's possibilities of getting diseases from spunk, too. Surely, right? Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. But famously, Al, famously, spunk. How did we get onto this? Spunk brings everything with it. <laughs> Dangerous. How did we get? You know, onto I'm one of the. This? I'm one of the only one of my friends that hasn't had chlamydia, and I actually sometimes feel a bit left out. And I just think it's too late for me now. I've. I've have you ever had an STD? I've not. No. No, me neither. How boring. I know. I actually had to get <laughs> tested, like four years into my relationship with Alex because I had to go and get um, uh, the coil fitted and still I'd been with Alex for like four years and I was like oh my god and I just got like all the nerves and then I was like oh wait this is that's literally that's like classic like the police car driving behind you and you know you've done nothing wrong and you're still like chlamydia can can lie dormant can't it so I I did the same and actually it was yeah probably about three years into our relationship and then I was on the coil, but I was getting bleeding. So they were like, okay, so you need to do an SDI test. And I absolutely shat myself. I don't know. I just thought like, this is it. I've definitely got something. Oh my God. Know. Al, you were right. Chlamydia can lie dormant, but it doesn't, sh- it doesn't lie dormant. Like, I don't think it lies dormant. Like it doesn't show up on tests. It just lies dormant. Like you don't have any symptoms. Yes, 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 yes. And then eventually I- it can make you infertile. I think. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. It's not good. It's not yeah. good. That's what, yeah. You know what? Anybody listening to this? Don't get your STD check. Yeah, yeah. It's always worth it. And most things are fixable. And, you know, knowledge is power. Yeah. Yeah. And if not fixable, manageable. So, Exactly. Yeah. Love that. Good. Sex ed with Alex and M. Do you know what? That, that actually brings me nicely onto, onto my awkward, which is... <laughs> that you have chlamydia. Not... That, yeah. <laughs> that STD result came back as positive. <laughs> the marriage is on the ropes. <laughs> For all of it. Um... No, I was, it's it's kind of not really an awkward, but I think what, it's awkward that I've realised, well, I've seen a few friends this past week, or a couple of friends this past week, and each time they've said to me, like, oh, too much information, but, right? And I'm like, oh my God, what are they going to tell me? Like, what is too much information, right? And then when they say it, it's something, like, so innocuous, just like, Are you hanging out oh, with me I, too much? <laughs> Well, hang on. It's like, oh, I, I had sex and this. Or like, oh, I, I had the shits. Or, oh, my pe- I've got my period. And I'm like, we... 
overshare so much on this podcast (laughs) like so much because it doesn't even like I don't blink an eye when they say it and I'm like I can't believe you caveated that with too much information but when we just say also like do we share too much well I'm trying to think if there's anything that is too much information that's the thing I'm like what would be too much information well sometimes I think the bad part of this podcast is too much information. Like when we share the negative things, but that's because I've been brought up by stiff upper lips. And like my mum literally had the quote, like a bore is someone who when asked how they are tells you, like we were encouraged to speak (laughs) only like of niceties, like, oh, how are you? And it's like, your arm could be falling off. I'm like, oh my God, I'm great. How are you? So like, it's not in my nature to dwell on the bad or to moan about the bad. So that feels like too much of me. You know, sometimes when someone asks how you are, then you start telling them and then you're like, oh God, I've started on such a negative train here. Why have I done it? But then you're too late. And so you've just got to commit to just telling them the bad thing. And then sometimes I'm like, this was too much information. I could have just told them I was fine and would have had a nicer dinner. But I, but I would I could also tell yes. them like about the size of the poo that I did and that wouldn't concern me. But if I like shed a tear over something, I'd be like, oh my God. I have crossed a yeah, line, die. line in the sand. Oh my God. Yeah, for sure, for sure. But I do think the very nature of podcasts, we'd be struggling if we did one where we didn't really share. <laughs> Can you imagine? <laughs> Hi, Em, how are you? Good, thank you. you yeah, good. Here's a, here's a guest. Here's a guest. And then just with them, hey, how are you? Yeah, good, thanks. <laughs> okay, cool. <laughs> yeah, anyway, so great. see you next thanks week. Thanks for listening to Everybody's Shalom good. That. Everybody's not good, but they're going to tell you that they are because they're scared of oversharing because they're British. <laughs> Uh, well yeah there we go interesting yes I think we have lowered the bar or raised the bar so much in our work perhaps I think perhaps we might overshare our I do have to say though like I I feel I'm from a background very similar to how to yours what you just described um and also a, a, a family that very much didn't talk about like so much was taboo and off topic off to off off the table my mum always said you should never talk about anything that you never talk about anything at dinner that you wouldn't want to put on the table yeah that okay that took me a second but then my mum will be the first person to like bring up an orgy so I'm like I don't really want an orgy on the table but sure let's have this chat (laughs) (laughs) my mum's a Gemini she's she says one thing and then says another but I think that environment of like not talking about stuff does it just it leads to like well a lot of shame right so whatever we're oversharing but at least like I love podcasts and I love listening to people that overshare because often the bits that they're like oversharing is stuff that I like resonates with me and then 100%. I'm like oh my god I'm normal. And you know so, what I actually yeah. think about it my family do overshare loads like we talk about loads of stuff so I think you're you're yeah, yeah we do talk about like, loads you talk of stuff about so much yeah I don't know why we have this like chicken with my mum like we're not awkward about talking about like sex or anything or like swearing or talking about yeah there's nothing there's nothing I don't think I talk to my mum about to be honest actually. So she, what, yeah. But I think what she taught, what the the ball thing. But I do think it's different. I don't think we have any like taboo things. But then I just think like general courtesy dictates that when someone asks how you are, you yeah. just lie and say you're fine. Yeah, because you don't want to bring. Yeah, you don't want to bring the bring the mood yeah. down. I think I said it last week, but we have never said the word sex. Like my mum has never said it in front of us, and we've never said it in front of her. She says. How did you think you were born? My auntie told me. Oh, what? Because, well, like, I, I believe it or not, because I actually, even I lean towards not, I was actually quite switched on as a child. And, like, I knew about 
Santa and like the tooth fairy like straight away I wasn't having any of it and sex I was like there is something going on here and I know it and I was I was possibly I don't think I was too young but anyway um mum was like oh um you know she did the whole like the bird comes down from the sky and delivers it and when I didn't buy that she was like it just grows out of your belly button and I was like I'm not buying that either I know it's something bad like not bad but like to a kid that feels quite bad um so yeah in the end my auntie kind of sat me down I was like (laughs) this is how it goes oh my god yeah no we're not like that at all I think we talk about anal about once a week as a family. Yeah, that does not exist in my mum's my mum's sphere. <laughs> not once a week. But she's from a very very Catholic. She's from a very like very Catholic family, so that makes sense, I guess. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, it does, doesn't it? How crazy! Yeah, all of our bo- yeah. we've got a bottle opener in the shape of a dick. Yeah, that's. Yeah. Really lifelike, that's nice. actually. That's good. Got veins on it and everything. It's carved out of wood. Oh. <laughs> Veins. Um, interesting. Okay, right. Good, bad. So, yeah. Good, bad. Well, good. While I'm talking about my mum, my mum did her tenth Ironman. I haven't spoken to you since I went to Estonia. Yeah, is this your good? Her. Yeah, of course it is. Watched her. Yeah, it's, it's so my good. good for some selfish reasons as well. It's my good and the fact that it was her tenth and final Ironman. So she has done okay. ten. Over the last 10 years, she did her first one age 50. Lots of people ask on Instagram two things. One, what's an Ironman? I will tell you. It is a, it's the biggest triathlon. It's 2.4 mile swim, 112 mile bike ride, 26.2 mile run. And she did this, she, she did her first one aged 50 and she had not ever done any exercise before she was 49. Like people always say, oh, well, you know, did, was she into it? Was she, into it? she literally did nothing. She was a glorified couch potato, like first to admit it. And then when she was 49, she went through some personal stuff and started training, started exercising. And she was very involved in the founding of um, Help for Heroes. And she's one of the founder patrons of Help for Heroes. And they asked her to go on a battlefield bike ride, which is like a bike ride across Europe, which I subsequently did five of as well. And she did one of those for the first time. She trained for that. And then they asked her if she'd do the marathon for Help for Heroes. And she said, no, I can't run. And they said, "Okay, well, what about an Ironman then? And she went, yeah, I'll do that. Not realising that it had a marathon at the end of it. Um, and yeah, thus began the training and the journey. And she's been like, I can't tell you like how inspiring it's been over the last decade to watch her do them. She's done them all over the place, done it in the UK a few times, but she's done one in Hamburg, she's done one in Zurich, she's done one in Barcelona, um, she's done two in Copenhagen, and then this one in Tallinn. Unreal. And it's been so amazing for her. And but it, it does take up everything and obviously it's yeah. uh, the older you get it's harder um and i think her body's just about fucking had it with her now she's had to have god knows how many surgeries on like a knee and a shoulder <laughs> and steroid injections in her back and you know like she's really pushing herself to a limit and so she decided this one age 60 would be her final one and bearing in mind you know remember her sister died about a week before she did it um mm. and she uh, it was been a, it's been a really hard time for her and she got up there and she fucking smashed it out and she was so nervous and it was just unbelievable like it was the most inspiring thing I've ever seen 
And when they finished, my brother asked the, like me and my brother and sister were there, and my brother asked for like the organiser of the event to speak to her on the finish line, and they did an emotional speech for her. And then it, we got a call the next morning, and it turned out she'd come third in her age category. That's unbelievable. And they had a little medal for her, and she got to go up on the stage, and oh, oh. it was just, like we got the call, and we got on our electric scooters, and it was like, Avengers Assemble, and like the fleet, <laughs> Alex had done it as well, and like a couple of his friends, and like we all were like, scooting down there to collect her medal we arrived like she's here with her entourage <laughs> um and oh it was just absolutely the most amazing that thing. is so good that is un- unreal so inspiring and at the age of 60 and also what a nice way to finish on number 10 when she's 60 yeah so nice like rounded numbers and like what a milestone to have done 10 well we're not going to dwell on the fact that she's 61 and she was supposed to do her 10th last year but then covid got in the way so she's well, fuck, well there you go let though. that she's go to be 60, yeah exactly so, so she basically <laughs> is and yeah 100 percent. and then selfishly it is hard watching your mum put herself through pain actually to do it and yeah. even more selfishly, you have to get up at four in the morning to watch the start line at fucking six and then you've got to stay up all day to chase them around random cities that you've never been to to cheer them on at every possible point and then you don't go to bed until they finish at 11.30. But you also can't moan about being tired because they're the one doing an <laughs> Ironman so you've just really got to hold it together even though you're fucking shattered. So I'm quite looking forward to that chapter of my life being closed as well. <laughs> Although Alex does them as well, but quite frankly, well... yeah. He's fine. You know, he doesn't need as much. He's fine. He's, he also does them a bit quicker because he's younger. So it's actually a bit easier to spectate. Anyway, yeah. so I'm just, I'm so proud really of her. Really cool. And I'm so happy for her. And yeah, she just absolutely smashed it. She was, yeah, like 16 hours as well. She did it in, which was just stunning. 16 hours and one minute. So. Unbelievable. Absolutely honestly. unbelievable. That's just so cool. What a babe. That's a clap for Francie. Yeah, it was amazing. Um, so that was my big fat good. So cool. I do not have anything quite as inspiring as that. <laughs> it's actually something quite um, self-absorbed, actually. But my good is that we... Um, well, my good is just finding out that people actually listen to this podcast. Yay! I love it when your goods are my goods, too. <laughs> yeah. Like, a substantial amount of people actually listen to this podcast which I still find quite unbelievable. So we had a meeting with ACAS, we're part of the ACAS Creator Network, and we had a meeting with them, and we sat down, Em and I sat down in the like little waiting room before we met them, and Em just looked at me and was like, they're firing us, aren't they? <laughs> and I was like, oh God, they are, aren't they? And I was like, no, but wait, because we're going for lunch afterwards, so surely they wouldn't be firing us if we're going for lunch after, would they? And you were like, I don't know, probably. <laughs> so So on your fucking bikes, Here's a sandwich. <laughs> yeah. Here's a pret sandwich. Little like a little egg one. So yeah, that was and then we went to the meeting and it was like really positive. And they were like, yeah, like people are listening. We were waiting for the other shoe to drop, like weren't it. we? We were like sitting there like Totally. Okay, where's the bar? Where's the bar? Where and then it just didn't come. It was like, oh yeah. cool. So that was cool. Because it's it's so weird. We like we record it. Okay, the interviews are a bit different because we record the interviews in a studio and it feels like a little bit like it feels more profession stuff, but like these bits and the is it just me and the the good bad and awkward it's like we just record it. I mean I'm coming from to you from a premiere in like obviously we're just chatting shit to each other and it's weird to th- and I never think that other people are listening which is stupid because otherwise why would we be doing it but, but it's, it's really it's special just, it's isn't very it? weird 
I feel, I feel really lucky. Yeah, we're a bit cheesy after so this, weren't we? We're like, oh my god, how lucky are we? Do we love our job? Do we love each I other? I know. <laughs> I know. But it's just so cool, isn't it? We are very lucky. Very lucky. So thanks, and like you said, we can sometimes get, get bogged down in like logistics or we've got to do this and we've got to do that. But yeah. Yeah. And I've been getting so bogged down with like the trolling and stuff recently. And like, so remembering that bit has been really important for me. Um, yeah. I tell you what, Al, I've got so many awkwards. I've literally, Go on. I've got so many. I, I actually was going to give up my bads and my goods just for the awkward my bad I'll just say very quickly <laughs> is that I went to my auntie's funeral yesterday and that was bad and it was sad and now I'm going yeah. to completely swing us back around with the extensive amount okay. of awkward I don't know how it's been so awkward <laughs> I just don't understand starting most recently at the ACAS aforementioned ACAS meeting that we went to when I sat down in the lobby with you <laughs> and I was wearing a pretty little like t-shirt dress and I sat down next to Al. I say I sat, I slumped. I threw myself to the chair. As an author would say, I threw myself into the chair. And as I threw myself into the chair, the back of my skirt got caught on the back of the chair. So when I sat down next to Alex, my entire arse was just out because the back of my dress was stuck to the back of the chair, which was quite high. And that was so embarrassing. I was like, ooh, ooh. And then you have to stand back up to, to get, unhook it. Um, oh my god, that was so embarrassing. It was so funny to just watch you shit yourself. Yeah. Literally, I saw the absolute panic. You were like, what? Oh, obviously, I'm Sorry for that noise. That was probably very loud. It, no, it's literally about right. That's exactly what I did. Um, and then, oh my god, just, this has been such an awkward week. I stood up off the flight with my seatbelt still done, on, done up. That's so embarrassing. <laughs> um, when I was at the airport, I, tried, I don't know why it's been such a bad week. I, when I was at the airport, I um, I got I bought a book at the airport and I went to the W A Smith counter and I slid the book onto the counter and it just slid <laughs> the whole way down the other side. So I was like, I'll take this, please, and like slid it across the counter and then it turned dog and landed on the floor on the other side. I was like, oh, I'm really sorry. It was like playing air hockey with her and she just missed it. Um, and then finally, and this one was so bad and I was actually so upset about it so i was in um estonia and fucking alex and mum had gone to do their registration for it's, if anyone's ever done an iron man the amount of fucking admin that comes with these things oh my god and like the officials are the, uh, there's no one more officious in this life than an iron man official they can't help themselves they <laughs> love the fucking rules so much and um and there's so many rules anyway they'd forgotten or they didn't have exactly the night the right race number you have like a million race numbers and you have like Stickers for your bike, stickers for your helmet, stickers for bag in transition one, bag in transition two, personal items bag, one that goes um, round on a waist belt. Oh, it's just so many stickers, it's ridiculous. Anyway, they hadn't taken one of the nine stickers that they needed, and sure enough, that's the one that they needed. And they were like 25 minutes away, and Alex had a meeting at 3.30, and he was in such a rush, so I had to get, like basically to him i had to get their numbers to him give him my taxi and then literally walk back by myself um don't, don't dwell on being a good good wife and anyway <laughs> did this whole thing and i was rushing around like a headless chicken because time was of the essence to get their race numbers to transition to and i ran between my my room mine and alex's room and my mum's room and i i went <laughs> oh so embarrassing got my mum's room then alex was like okay fuck it i'm not gonna make the meeting you're gonna have to bring my computer so i can find a cafe and i was like 
Okay, back to our room we go. So I ran back to our room, <laughs> opened the door, and because I am a mess, I'd left the suitcase right open by the door. I went in, tripped over the suitcase, and as I was going forwards, my big baggy fashionable sleeve of my Zara dress got caught in the door handle. Oh, no. So as I was falling, I was caught by my sleeve in the door handle, which ripped... I'll send you a photo. So I've got a massive rip in my stunning little Zara dress. And I was literally (laughs) suspended by my sleeve, like hanging over my suitcase, like, but not quite fallen because the door handle and sleeve was holding me up. And then you you get so angry and like you were on your own. Oh, yeah. And like, there's no one to be angry about. I left the suitcase there. I went into the room too so fast. I tripped over. It's my dress I ruined. It's all me. And I was just so angry with me. And it was awful. And I had to like reverse myself back up to unhook myself and just look sadly at my sleeve. But I didn't even have the time to like be sad because I had to keep on moving and then I got his laptop and then he was like oh what have you got my laptop for I didn't want my laptop and I was like don't you start with me today fuck sunshine off. <laughs> fuck off Alex <laughs> there was a miscommunication and I was like whoever's fault it is it's irrelevant it's yours I've ripped my pretty little Zara dress and I'm not doing this with you <laughs> Um, and I don't know why that was just so awkward but I think it's just because I was on my own and then I had to you know walk. what that visual's great it's in such a little fluster as well you know when you're like really strong and I, and I know I've got this massive <laughs> rip in my sleeve so everyone's going to be looking at me like well she's had a shocker I don't know what's happened there but it's not good I'm like I know <sighs> anyway I survived fun. So many that actually, that actually makes me think of this morning. Actually, right. So every night I set when I set my alarm. My alarm. Okay. So say I want to wake up at seven. Right. I set I set one at six fifty, six fifty five, seven, seven o five, seven ten, seven fifteen, seven twenty. Right. I have never not woken up on my first alarm, but I have this irrational fear that I am just gonna miss my alarm I miss all alarms so I think the more the better so I put it on at least probably seven alarms every night does Dave love that mad (laughs) loves that obviously he's gonna fucking kill you and then this morning I obviously woke up at my first alarm went into the shower and then I'm in the shower my alarm goes off again because the next five minutes has rolled around so I get out the shower and I turn it off I get back in the shower and I was really enjoying it because it was hot and, and I'm in the Premier Inn and it's air which is an absolute treat um, so I was in it for another five minutes so it went off again so I was like oh I walked out like stomped out the shower and like slammed on the thing and then I just took a moment I, and I was so mad so angry and I took a moment I was like Dave I've just noticed like the things that make me so angry are just things that are entirely my own fault like entirely my own fault. I feel I feel like mad at the world. Like the, the fucking alarm is going off again, and I'm like, hang on, who set the alarms? Me. Who didn't turn off the alarms? Me. Why do I have to get out of the shower and turn off the alarms? Me. It's it's all my own fault. Yeah. So why am I getting so angry at the world? You know, I feel like the universe is against me, and it's not. I did that it's yesterday. I was driving to the funeral, and there was traffic, and I just went like, it was my fault. Well. First of all, you can't complain about the traffic because if you're in the traffic, you are the traffic. And I think that's something very right. important for people to remember whenever they bitch and moan right. about stuff, right? So I never complain about traffic because I'm well aware that I am the traffic. And I was yeah. sitting in it. And I normally have this very rational sense of, 
what is right in the car and that is whatever happens is what is right and I'm not special and I don't deserve anything extra so suck it up (laughs) bitch but yesterday I swear to god and it was like and I slipped from like I'm so angry with the traffic and then before I know I was like what's fucking wrong with this country inflation's so bad everybody's fucking like this is so miserable we're burning we're burning the earth is burning it's so hot it's so irrational no one can afford to do anything like I fucking hate it here the NHS is on its knees and I was like what am I doing and it literally stemmed from like there's a little bit of traffic because of roadworks to me being like I fucking hate this place it's so irrational that's a bad spiral to go down because there isn't much you can do about those things no it's yeah that's a bad that's a dangerous spiral to go down yeah it wasn't a positive it wasn't a positive journey that I found myself on yeah you said it the other day it's like it's actually really hard to enjoy the sun at the moment when you know that the reason for it is that the earth is burning like you're so much less inclined just to go and have an ice cream and enjoy enjoy yourself when it's like we've got the context that we do i i've never said this in my life but i'm looking forward to autumn i'm struggling oh my god i'm so excited I'm struggling. It's bad, it, isn't it? It's it is just really too, bad. It's just too much. And I think you're right. I think the, the magic kind of does go when you realise that it's like bad. Bad heat. Where We have no government. Where's Keir Starmer? Can I just ask? Where is the leader of the opposition yeah. at this time? It really frustrates me that everybody goes on... Like, okay, get that everybody goes on holiday in August. But I do think if you are part of the government... I don't know that he's on holiday for a fact. I just know that we kind of like very like widely accept that things don't happen in August, don't we? We're all like, totally. oh, everyone's got their yeah. out of office on. You know, government will be back in September. Yeah. It's just like, I don't think we should kind of be like... I think maybe this year their holidays should be cancelled and everybody should just sit at home and just work out what the fuck we're going to do because everything's a mess. Like, I just... I can't believe that, like... Yeah. Inflation is, like, so crazy and it's such a terrifying time for people and then there's just kind of, like, nobody here. Like, we don't have a Prime Minister. Haven't heard from Keir in ages. Like, Liz and Rishi are just, like, God knows doing fucking what. And it's just... It is actually a bit terrifying. It kind of it just is, makes me just like a bit ashamed of everything. I'm just like, this is a fucking, this place is a joke. This is a joke. I watched a video, sorry, I'm really going off on one here, but I watched a video about immigration the other day. And it was just like, and, and I've all, I hate the fucking rhetoric around illegal immigrants in this country and about the, the channel crossing. And I hate how hostile we are to to people that seek asylum here. And it, it annoys me so much. And I saw this incredible video showing this, this from a guy in the House of Lords and it was on Simple Politics, so you should go and look at it. But it was about this yeah. guy speaking, it was a, it was a, one of the Lords speaking. And it, it was very disconcerting having a very posh, old white man speaking so eloquently in favour of like yeah. liberal kindness when it comes to refugees and people seeking asylum here anyway and it was just like hearing how how awful we've been and hearing it because you kind of know but then hearing it all back to back to back and how we're not doing anything for afghanis and not doing anything for syrians and like just etc etc and it's just like oh my god like you just it actually makes you so ashamed to just when you hear it all on the bounce like that it just i don't know everything's yeah. really pissing me off i'm just it is shameful it is shameful everything though al i can't i can't find one saving grace with this lot right now okay well you've really brought me down <laughs> <laughs> you know what i was right. 
I was having fun, Em. I was having fun. My bad, if they weren't the funeral and the fact that the world's ending and the country's gone to shit, there was a point when my only bad from this week was that I'd all reorganised all my um, apps on my iPhone and I couldn't find anything. I tried to be more <laughs> you and put them all in categories, but I can't do it. I can't do it. I can't work out where, like, pay by phone goes. Or like Ringo parking. What category do you put that in? Because you don't want to put it in a category on its own. Because what's the point in having the category? You might as well have the app open. Travel. That's a good idea. Is that everything then? You've got everything okay. everything, everything covered, so. everything good, everything bad, everything awkward? Yeah, I mean, I didn't do a specific bad. But that's mainly because I have three and I just can't decide between the three. So yeah, Just barrel them off, rack them off, go, go, go. Okay, well, my most immediate bad is I had a spray tan. Yeah. And it was the first time with this woman. Luckily, she doesn't know that I do a podcast, so she won't hear this. But fuck me, it's so bad. Like, you actually can't see from this. You can't see. I will send you a picture because my hands are about 10 times. My hands on my feet are about 10 shades darker, no joke, than the rest of my body. I see this. Yeah, that's actually really Can you see it? Right. Where does the it's darkness start? Shocking. Just like, does it look like you're wearing gloves? Can I see your whole arm, please? Oh god, it does look like you're wearing gloves. It literally looks like I'm wearing gloves. It's so fucking bad. Dave is like gagging looking at it and I don't know what to do. And I've Googled like how to get rid of fake tan. And I've tried acids, like, you know, uh, skincare acids. I've tried, um, well, to be honest, the next step is bleach, but I'm not sure because I have eczema. I don't think that's a good thing to do. I, I know so little about most things. I know so little about everything, but I just know that bleach and skin is not the one. Yeah. That if if if, it, if it's a choice between between discolored skin and no skin, I think you just choose discolored skin. Yeah, like yeah. red raw or bleeding. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. That's what I'd say. Um, I'll leave that. I'll leave that as my bad. I'll say. I'll say. I'll save one for next week. Okay. Um. Let's introduce our guest this week. So, um, our guest this week is called Betty. Obviously, for various reasons, I love that name. But we came across Betty via an article in the Times, and the article was called "My Mum Put Me on a Diet and Wrote About It in Vogue." And Betty's mum put her on a diet and wrote about it in Vogue when she was eight years old. And I thought it was fascinating because this is—I mean, a lot of mums have put their daughters on a diet, and a lot of us will be able to re- relate to that. But it's like an extra level, an extra layer of having it like documented in, in fucking Vogue, you know, like the biggest fashion Bible ever. Like that's another level. So we were like, we've got to speak to her. She's from New York, but she, um, she was over in London. So we had her into the studio and yeah, it was a fascinating interview, like super interesting. And I I thought what was interesting as well is that maybe she writes about a lot about body positivity and body body confidence and anti-diet. So I didn't realize that perhaps she's still more in the thick of it than we realized. Definitely. It's very important to come into this, first of all, the trigger warning and say, you know, like this, we are going to talk heavily about dieting and body image in this. Um, but also I think the, the reason we valued this conversation so much is that it is because Betty is still dealing with the repercussions of her experiences as a child. And I think that's a very important thing to acknowledge because often when we talk about body image or body confidence or eating disorder recovery or whatever it is, it's often done when the person is completely healed themselves and at the end of the journey. And so, you know, we'll go to pages of people that we admire online and Alex, I'll use you as a really good example. Your 
you have recovered from your eating disorder and you have you are therefore in a very good place to educate people about diet culture but I think you know it's it's a different level completely to talk to somebody mid-journey and obviously we can't pin too much on them because we because they're still going through stuff and I think we have to it's a very just interesting thought process about how we um manage our expectations of other people in our lives and like what we take from other people and I think we've we've got a lot of compassion for Betty because whilst what happened to her is kind of unique in that it was in vogue it was also incredibly common and hearing her speak and not to sound condescending at all because I think she's brilliant and smart and much more switched on than I was at her age but hearing her speak is, it did bring up a lot of memories of how I felt at her age so I think yeah we you can't look to every single person to, that have has these conversations as being there with a magic wand to have all the answers and to have completely cured themselves and to be fixed and, and completely at peace with what's happened But I, and I think that's what makes this so interesting is hearing Betty's journey and hearing where she's at so yeah, like I think allowing lots of nuance and space and compassion and and I think it will be very unifying for a lot of people who like Al said, like, you know, have had difficult maybe difficult relationships with their mums or even just their bodies because of well, I don't know, because of this fucked up world, man. Yeah. And people who are still in the midst of this journey, for lack of a better word, you know, who are still struggling and still yeah finding finding a like their way to a better place because like you said I do think there's value in speaking to people who are in the in the thick of it as well yeah and on the road with you ignore that not about the destination it's the journey yeah and I think it's just important to note that we can't vilify her or anyone who's still in the thick of it and still struggling and we just have to come at it with compassion and kindness because that's going to be that's going to that's going to be the key and the answer to helping everything okay yeah guys i hope you really enjoy it and we are looking forward to hearing what you think um and yes. please remember to just treat all of this with lots and lots of love and kindness and empathy and support and we will see you on thursday with another is it just me I've got a voice note to read out on Thursday. Oh, oh, that's exciting. Okay. Oh, that's an incentive to come back, guys. You know, when people say on advert breaks, don't go anywhere. Well, don't go anywhere because we've got voice note. Also, I wish I wish one of our um, episodes went out on Tuesday because then we could say see you next Tuesday. You can just say it anyway. Um, Guys, enjoy. We will see you next week. Later this week. See see you next week. Bye. See you next week. Bye. Hi, Betty. Hello. Thanks for having um, me. Thank you so much. You are literally fresh in this morning. Yeah. Your plane landed at 8 a.m. from New York and you're here with us now. You're a legend. Does that make yeah, everybody else feel very cool? Because it makes me feel cool. Like she's flown in yeah. from New York. You're our first American guest. Oh my gosh. I know. She's just, she's just oh flown God, across the are. Atlantic and it kind of makes me feel like she's flown just for this. I know you haven't. I mean, but but we, basically, yeah. this was first on my list. Like I had there to come here first. So See, there it makes us all feel cool. Yeah, <laughs> as you should. <laughs> um, love your name. My Thank dog's you. my dog's called Betty. Oh, and she's really? Very <laughs> beloved. I'm obsessed with her, and I've I've got Betty there on my ring as well. Oh my gosh! Just I might case. I should steal that from you. Yeah, honestly. I saw it halfway cool. through the episode. Like, fuck, this girl really likes me. <laughs> yeah, you're like, oh my god! I swear that says Betty on her hand. <laughs> what a <Yeah>. creep. <laughs> so we really wanted to talk to you. I 
recently came across your story via an article in the Times with a headline that read, my mum put me on a diet and wrote about it in Vogue. Can you explain to the listeners what this was about, what this is? Yeah. Because it's kind of a fascinating story and uh, a a very like niche story, but also one that um, will resonate with a lot of people listening as well, just in a smaller, different kind of way. Right. Yeah, (laughs) totally. Yeah. So when I was seven, I was diagnosed with childhood obesity Um, and my doctor said, you know, for her health, she needs to lose weight. And so um, I, my mom sort of spearheaded this effort to put me on a diet to lose, um, to lose weight and to make sure that I got back into that healthy range that my doctor had recommended. Um, And that, you know, the diet at such a young age at, you know, seven, eight years old is pretty atypical, but dealing with body image struggles, I think at that young of an age is is not that unique. But of course, my mom then took an extra step of writing about that experience in Vogue. Um, And there were photographs of me in Vogue. And there was a lot of backlash against that article that she wrote because people felt like, you know, you shouldn't be fat shaming your daughter at this age. You shouldn't be um, dieting. You shouldn't be talking about these things. Um, And so it was pretty controversial then as it is now writing about it um, at this point. And so, yeah, I wrote, I wrote this article for The Times. And and more recently, I've been talking in the media about body image and, and stuff like that. Um, I think because it's such a core part of my story of growing up, it feels natural that I would continue to talk about it now as I have gotten older. Um, and it's, it's a story that I think has resonated with a lot of people and sharing my experiences and my struggles have, you know, people have, have said that it's been helpful to hear it from someone and and someone who can be very honest about it. So I think that that's, that's why I've been motivated to continue to talk about it. And yeah, write that article that you read in the Times. Yeah, I mean, I was, I was like gobsmacked because I think that is a very much a shared experience that our mums have a, a preoccupation with our weight and how much we weigh and totally. and how we look um, because just that's just a symptom of their generation as well. Like it's just it's not that really their fault, but um, but for it to be spotlighted like that, what did you think of that article and like when did you become aware of it? Honestly, like I think that. Even to this day, I've never read the article in its entirety. Really? My mom wrote a book afterwards that was a little bit more in-depth and talked a little bit more about her relationship with her body. Um, and that I did read, I think, when I was 11 or so. So it was a few years after the whole experience had happened. But the article itself, I only ever sort of like saw pictures of. Um, and I only saw like the pictures of me that were there. Um And I knew pretty early on what it was, I think, because I'd been involved in the photo shoot with Vogue and because I I was a hip, you know, young kid. I knew I knew what Vogue was. I knew what (laughs) what, you know, all of these like what it meant to have that kind of publicity. Um, I think I didn't totally I was very intentionally sheltered from the media attention. Um, I know my mom did some like press and and a, a book tour and I was very much not 
involved with any of that. Um, and I think because there was so much criticism, my parents wanted to make sure that that didn't fall back onto me um, or that I didn't feel insecure about it or feel nervous about it. Um, so it was this weird sort of gray area of knowing that I had been in vogue, but the only people that I was really hearing about it from were, you know, random aunts at my at weddings or family friends or, you know, kids at school would say, oh, like my mom read your mom's book or read your mom's article and she really liked it. And someone would be like, yeah, me too. And I was like, great. I, I have never read it. I don't, I don't know what it is, but I, I knew my story and I knew that it had been publicized. But So did you have like negative associations with it at that time, do you think? With the article? Yeah. One memory that really like sticks out to me is at at my aunt's wedding, um, it was sort of the big, the first really big event that had happened in our family right after the article came out. People had been coming up to me all day with, you know, saying how how beautiful I looked and everyone was saying only very nice things. But I was just, you know, tired from the day and a little overwhelmed. And I walked into the wedding reception and someone came up to me and said, Betty, I saw you in Vogue. You looked so beautiful. And I just burst into tears like in front of and she I sort of like ran away and she my mom said she like looked at her and was like what did I say I didn't that was supposed to be nice I didn't mean to like upset her of course but the the article was a reflection of something that has been true about me for a long time which is that my body is the center of attention and that my body is the most noticeable and important thing about me. It feels a lot of the time. And I think that that was a lot of attention that I was uncomfortable with because, I mean, for one, obviously I had a lot of other things that I hoped people would notice me for, you know, whether that was being smart or being funny or things that don't have to do with how I physically look. But of course, also because my body was talked about in a way that was critical most of the time. Yeah. And it was something I was insecure about and continued to be insecure about. Um, and so having all of that attention all the time on me was definitely, definitely hard. Um, even though it was all so positive in, in terms of the reaction to the article, at least at, at times it felt like it was a celebration of my body that I felt like was either like not I didn't merit it or I didn't deserve it or it somehow was a veiled criticism of how I used to look. Um, and I think in general, I just really didn't want people to talk about my body and didn't want people to focus on it, um, which is sort of now when when I write and then talk about body image in general, like that is really what I – the point that I want to drive home the most is just like I, people's bodies should just be their own business. Right. And everyone feels the need to voice their opinions about everyone else's body and I find it so – insufferable. And yeah, it's horrible to have people comment on your body and also to just to comment on other people's bodies too. It just feels exhausting all the time. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I, I had on a much le- much lesser scale, but just you speaking there reminded me. I remember my dad, who's a journalist, wrote once about um, like how I was the shittest kid at sports day. <laughs> and obviously like that's funny, like, you know, and I was shit, obviously. But I, and I hadn't read it because I didn't read what he wrote. But obviously like my friend's parents had read it and then been like, oh, <laughs> your little friend gets a mention and she's shit at sports day. So then my friends would come in and be like, your shit at sports day. Right. <laughs> And I'd be like, oh my God. And I was so upset. Cause <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh my God. Because there's something really embarrassing about people being privy to a relationship that's quite, pri- even if it's a joke, that's a, that's a relationship that's kind of private. And I guess like, I mean, yeah. it's probably very different now with social media because we're all doing that to each other all the time and sharing photos and whatever. And that's a conversation for another time. But like that dynamic in, in and of itself can feel, particularly when you're a kid, quite exposing in a way that you don't really like because kind of how your mum feels about your body or how my dad felt about me being shit at sports day (laughs) it kind of should be between us and then I guess it's like being put out for other people to read like was that something was was that part of the dynamic for you like that it was how it was your mum's feelings that people were reading about not just your body but yeah it was her kind of spearheading it if that makes sense totally and I think also because I was so young and it was so quickly after the diet had happened. It did feel very much like this is my story that is being told, not by me, mm. um, which is also why it has been so important to me and and why my mom has been so supportive of me, you know, doing things like this and talking about that, telling that story now that I'm old enough and have had time to reflect on it. But I think the initial narrative being something that was very much out of my control. Um, And my mom never, you know, said that she was speaking for me. She always was very clear that it was her perspective, what she had done, what she had thought. But of course, I I was the story. Like the story was about me and my body. And so having that be presented in in exactly what you were saying before is exactly right. Like it it was something that felt very personal that was then being exposed Mm -hmm. um which was just I think a little difficult to Mm -hmm. experience um to feel like just and even the not knowing the not knowing the full extent of the criticism of the article um feeling like other people know things about me that I don't even know having not read it or having you know been shielded from the discourse about it just felt a, a little isolating at times. Um, but I think that's mostly in retrospect. I think at the time I didn't really know what was going on. And so I didn't think to feel that way. Um, but I'm glad now that I do have the opportunity to speak about it from my own perspective, because I think that it would be difficult, much more difficult if that narrative was the only one that existed. And that version of my story was the only one that existed. Yeah. And it was one that I didn't really play any part in. I'm just imagining how like hard that must be as a kid when you're so so conscious of your body like I mean the slightest bit of attention on my body when I was a kid I mean even now like you know like 
you I wanted the ground to like swallow me up yeah and it's like in this especially in Vogue which is as we all know famously a publication where anything that lies outside of thinness is very much reviled and that I just can't imagine how yeah Do, do you think that has informed then your relationship with your body and food and the way you eat oh 100 percent. oh really I think I mean for one the diet itself obviously just fundamentally shaped how I interact with food what was the diet can I ask yeah totally so I don't know what it was officially called it basically was this system where you would have a certain number they they divided food based on certain amounts of calories into green lights, yellow lights, and red lights. So a green light was okay. 100 calories, a yellow light was 200 calories, and a red light was 400 calories. Um, I think those numbers are right. And so you would get a certain amount, like for meals each day, it would be like you have two green lights for breakfast and a yellow light and a green light for lunch or whatever it was. Um, and it was just a way to teach portion control and counting calories in a kid-friendly way. Um, that's an oxymoron. Which, right. <laughs> yeah. It was definitely, like, it was hard. I did not enjoy it. But I also, I often get told that I'm very, like, protective of my mom when I talk about these, when I talk about what happened and, like, this whole process that I went through. And I think I am that way because I feel so strongly that her intentions were yeah. good. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think that this like villainizing of her that happened after the fact. I think like she absolutely deserves certain amounts of criticism. Um, But I think that people don't know the whole story and don't know what her motivations were. Um, And I think people feel like she was obsessed with this, with thinness and with this like aesthetic response um, or expectation for me when really she was only motivated by health, but just the way that our society exists, that's a very confusing, vague area to be in. Like at what point is, I mean, our conception of health and the whole fact that I was obese because of my BMI was based on like a culture of medical fat phobia and of people being, thinking that, that I was, you know, either that I was necessarily unhealthy because I was fat, which for many people is true and for many people is not true. And the diet itself very much shaped the way that I interact with food and my body now. And I think that the Vogue article very much cemented my body as something that is like for the consumption of other people, um, which is something I still do really struggle with. I think – As I've gotten older, obviously, you know, girls are taught that their bodies are for men to consume. Um, Growing up with – and I got Instagram when I was in, like, fifth grade. And so I – my body has been for, like, public consumption on social media and on the internet since I was at least, you know, that age. And that is definitely – it's – it's been hard for me to work on my relationship with my body as a private matter because so much of it feels tied up in how other people perceive my body and how other people see me. Um, so yeah, I do think that that's affected me to this day. I to- I totally get that 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 you would be protective of your mom. I totally get that because I think you can 
you you can simultaneously like acknowledge the harm that those you know the consequences that 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 article had and and her preoccupation should we say with your yeah. with your weight while also having compassion for the fact that that was like all she knew like she just didn't like she didn't know any better like so many like like the entire generation so yeah, that totally, totally makes makes sense to me um and i i think i w- i wonder what you would like say to people girls especially i think who are in a similar situation with their mums who they comment on their weight all the time they ask them do you really need that yeah like is that that is a very big portion like you're you're not looking healthy whatever it is what would you say to those girls yeah it's I mean it's tough because I think part of why my mom and I are able to have such a good relationship now is because we've basically entirely cut those conversations out of our relationship. Oh, really? Um, I think, like, I needed to set a boundary in our relationship that my body could no longer be, like, a topic of discussion and could no longer be something for her to criticize or have opinions on. Um, And it's not a perfect system, obviously. Um, But I I do think that – I mean, I – would at least hope that in most situations where mothers are being critical of their daughters, that it is still coming from some well-intentioned place, as convoluted as that might be, that it's, I want you to feel good about yourself. I want you to be healthy. And I think it's definitely true that our mothers, even more than us, grew up in, you know, fat phobic societies. Um, And it's, I mean, it's hard for me to break that cycle. It's even harder for someone who, you know, went through more of their life to to break that cycle. Um, so it's it's tough, I think, to set that boundary because – especially because weight is just such a hard thing to talk about. Like people don't ever want to talk about it and so – when it comes up, those conversations are always tense. And then talking about those conversations is even more tense. And I don't really have maybe that good of advice except to just say, like, being honest about how criticism makes you feel, being honest about how, you know, certain comments make you feel and how how you feel about your body is what is going to have the most impact. Um, but it was a long process of figuring that out for me. And I think I – don't have it all figured out. Sometimes, you know, my mom will comment on something I'm wearing or some something that I'm eating and I'll feel like I, I'm now in the practice of calling her out on it and of saying, I don't care what you think. I don't yeah. need to be hearing this from you. Um, but it, it takes a while to get How to that point. How does she take point. that when you say that? Is it? I think she knows that I'm right. <laughs> um, yeah. I... Of course, because our relationship is, you know, we've been dealing with these issues of body image and and stuff for such a long time. Um, I think she just knows not to fight back on it. And I think that part of that also comes from the fact that she trusts that we have similar goals, if that makes sense. Like she has faith that I also want to be healthy and that I also – know how to take care of my body. And so I think she feels like her, 
she doesn't need to be as overbearing or as critical because she can trust that I have my best interests at heart as well. Um, but again, like it took, it took a while and, and there's, there were definitely times where she would say like, what? I'm not, I just want like, what's best for you? Or like the thing that would always drive me the most crazy is when she would say that things weren't flattering, like, oh, that's not flattering on you. And I was like, that's just, you're just saying it makes me look fat, which, and you're saying you don't want me to look fat. Like that, that is what that means. But of course now I am very fixated on what is flattering too. Like I, those, those things can still translate to me, but I think she's gotten better at pulling back and, and letting me just make my own decisions. Though a lot of that has come from, I think, her mindset just having been transferred to me a little bit, um, which is sometimes hard to to deal with because it feels like, am I really fighting against these things that I am critical of if I am still dressing in things that I feel like are flattering or aka make me look skinny? Um, I don't know what the answer to that is. but I think yes. I think definitely. Yeah. It's hard. Think, yeah, for sure. It's so hard. Yeah. Did you ever take insecurities or problems that you had with your body to your mom? As in, if if you ever felt, um, I don't know, I used to find like shopping really hard and, yeah. and I like, I hated the way that I looked when I went shopping and I would like without fail have a breakdown to my mom every single time. So I would take that and I know my sister did and I, and I know lots of friends who would take their weight as a problem to their mum saying, I feel insecure about this or whatever. And, and so I'd wonder if, you, if it was ever a conversation that you had with her, because I'm trying to work out, and it's sort of irrelevant, but I, I think a lot of what you were saying, you know, it does, about mums, it does come from a good place, which sounds, again, very wrong, but because they want to help you and they think this will help you. Um, and I wonder if in any way that you had ever mentioned your body to your mom before the doctor said that you had childhood obesity and before you were put on the diet? Yeah, I was, I mean, I was certainly bullied for my weight long before the diet ever came about. Um, I remember the most cutting insult was in kindergarten. I, this kid that was just like a bully to everyone called me fatty patty at recess. And it was just you know, I, I've never recovered. It's not even um, your name. No, it was. <laughs> no, they did. No, my no, sister's it was... called Katia. So they called her Fatia. Katia. Fat... Yeah, Katia Fatia. Because oh. at least it rhymes. Right. At least it, like, you should have come up with a better name if you wanted yeah, to call yeah. exactly. like, It's not even your name. Right. Yeah, seriously. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that. so I, I knew that people thought I was fat. And I knew that I didn't look like the other little girls that were around me. Um and I think it did it did make me insecure. I don't I mean I was so young I don't really remember mm. what that feeling was like. Um I do think that it got a lot worse after the diet. Um I t I mean I I don't know if you guys were involved in like the Brandy Melville craze of like one size fits all shopping that like does not fit anyone um I think we're too old in English but, but I yeah that's no well I don't know I yeah I was I was wondering if it was just like maybe in I think there is one American thing, thing, yeah I was gonna say I've ever seen, and I've never gone in because one size does not right fit all. does not at all not at all but yeah so when I was 
I'm trying to think when it was popular. I guess when I was in like seventh grade, maybe eighth grade. And I, yeah, I just remember like I would go shopping and there and there were these like little tank tops that were full size tank tops on everyone else, but like didn't go past my boobs. And I, I had this one gray waffle knit tank top. It actually it sort of looked like the one I'm wearing right now, but it was gray. <laughs> um, that I had for years that just like was not a shirt. Like no one should have let me buy it. It did not fit me. But something about just like having a piece of clothing that like did technically fit me that was from Brandy Melville that like had this one size just – because it was so often a fight and it was so often, no, it doesn't fit you, that I clung on to any, you know, sign that I could fit into the mainstream – um, but yeah, jeans shopping was always the worst. Like I could never buy jeans. Um, and I think that I also went to my mom often with insecurities with this sentiment of like, I want to lose weight again. I know that like yeah. you know how to do that. Like you helped yeah. me do it once. And every couple of years when I, cause I, after I lost the weight in when I was seven, I gained it back um, within two years, I think. Um, then I went on Weight Watchers, then gained it back. I cut out carbs, gained it back, like over and over and over again. Um, so every time that I would sort of get to that place, another thing that was that was helpful for me in my mom's relationship, I think, was like I started calling the shots. I started saying I want to go on a diet. I want to lose weight. And so because I was the one that was more in control of it, that doesn't mean there was not conflict. We definitely still fought about weight and food a lot. But I didn't feel like I was as much – it didn't feel as much as though she was controlling me and my body. It was more of a partnership, yeah. I guess. Um, do you still diet? Or have you stopped dieting? Or is it something that you still do or like do occasionally? Or Yeah, it's a really good question. I think – I mean, the answer is yes. Like, I do still diet. So th the last true diet that I was on, um, my junior year of high school. Do you call it junior year here? It's we do not. And you second have said to seventh last. grade, eighth grade. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Any of those. Uh, <laughs> okay. Well, fifth grade, I was like 10. Seventh and eighth grade, 11 and 12. And then. I think they're a year behind us. I think year seven is their eighth grade. Okay. Wait, how old are you in yes in seventh grade? Seventh grade, I was young for my. I think you're usually twelve. I was because I was young. Yeah, for so my I think that's year eight. Yeah. yeah. Okay. This seems silly. Yeah. Anyway, so but around <laughs> that, those sorts of general ages. So junior year for me was sixteen. I was sixteen, and I did the keto diet. So that was like two years ago when everyone was going keto, and I was miserable. Like I hated it, but I lost a lot of weight. I lost like 30 pounds. And once I bounced back from that diet and gained that weight back, which sort of happened throughout my first year of college and and all of the, you know, anxiety and binge drinking and <laughs> independence that comes along with that, um, I was just really fed up with dieting. Um, and my dad and my grandma are both overweight. Um, and they had both started taking a medication that helps with weight management. And I sort of decided like, 
it might be the easy way out, but I I just like I can't do another diet. I can't put myself through that. So for the past seven months, I've been taking a weight management drug. I I don't want to like I don't want to advocate for that as something that other people want to do if that's like not their choice. But for me, it was the solution that after years of fighting with my body, it just made it has made existing in my body so much easier. And again, like this, this sort of goes back to that conflict of like, is that antithetical to to my values and to my beliefs? And I think in some ways, yes. And I have to own that and accept that. But in other ways, like I know what is is good for my body. I know what will allow me to be my best self, which includes my mental health, my overall happiness, my confidence levels, and my physical health is included in that. And that means that I need to be doing something about my body. Like I'm I'm never going to be able to escape the mentality that I'm too fat all the time. And so this solution just ended up being one that was mentally easier for me. Um, it's interesting. Do you really believe that you will never? That was my question too. <laughs> and I didn't want like, I'm so loath to patronize you because you sound so like, you, you you absolutely know your shit. So I, I don't want to come across. No, no, not at all. But you're, you're nine, 19, 20? I'm 18. 18, 18. Yeah. Like, I can't tell you how, the depth of my despising of my body at that age yeah and I honestly would have said the same as you like there's just no no way like I would ever get it I'd never I'd ever learn to not hate it and fuck me like 10 <laughs> years later I really don't right um so but do you really believe that it's just something that's always going to be with you is so yeah I, I mean I guess then I I, I believe I, I hope certainly that as I get older I will find more permanent grace with my body. I don't know that that will be the case, though, because I just think that I, maybe because of social media, maybe because of the Vogue article, maybe because of the diet at such a young age, I just think self-criticism is so ingrained in my mindset. And also what is so ingrained in my mindset is fighting against that inclination towards criticism and towards, you know, criticizing my body. Um, But I think that that nagging voice, yeah, I do think it's always going to be there. And I don't – like right now I I don't hate my body. I feel like good and I feel healthy and I work out and I feel strong – but I think there's always going to be something that I can find that I don't like about myself, um, which I think is true for a lot of people. Um, and I also just think, like, at least for now, that's my reality. And so I need to do what I can to exist yeah. right now. That yeah. makes sense. And I, I, I think living in the world that we do, I think it would be difficult for anyone to say that they'll never not have things that they don't like about their body. Like even if you advo- advocate for, for, you know, d- dismantling diet culture and fighting beauty standards, like it's always going to be the case because we can't live in this world without without having that like seep, seep in like t- osmosis, you know, yeah. it's really difficult. Um, 
But I think what might be cool, and again, I'm not, I don't want to sound like patronizing or whatever, but it would be to have like that hope, like a bit of gl- glimmer of hope. But then I, I'm, I was the same when I was in, when I was your age, probably up until, I mean, I'm nearly 34, probably up until like I was 30. I thought that I would never be able to be at peace with my body. Like, Mm -hmm. it just wasn't possible unless it was going to look a certain way. I had, like, a certain idea in mind of how it should look and then I was going to like it. Like, then I was going to be at peace with it. And it's, it's quite cool that, like, I always thought that the answer to that, the answer to being at peace with my body was to change my body and make it look that way. And it's, it's fascinating to me how all that time the work was in my mind. Yeah. However, I'm sitting here as someone who has had years of therapy. Like I started (laughs) therapy, what, like 10 years ago for my eating disorders. So it has, you know, it's taken me a really long time, but I think, but yeah, but I I so understand where you're coming from. Like I I so get it. And like, I just, I thought, you know, I just, I I get it. Like I was exactly the same. I just thought that's never going to be possible, especially if you've got that, inner critic as well not to get like all therapy talk but like if you've got that inner critic which and I'm totally putting words in in your mouth here like might be like a little bit representative of your mom or like that kind of maternal voice sort of saying like you're not good enough if you're not thin or you know you look better when you're thinner and stuff like that but yeah I, I, I hope it like can kind of like work out a little bit and like I think what you're doing as well like the work that you're doing um yeah hopefully like help you I lead. think to share sorry I'll to interrupt you no, no. I think to share what you've been through with your mom is so brave because I don't know anybody that hasn't experienced on some level that that, that those comments from their mom they're not deliberate in most cases or in many cases and it's something that we literally never talk about because I think we're really scared of upsetting our mums so it's really cool that at this age that you're at that you've reached this really boundaried spot with with a parent because I mean boundaries with parents is like horrible yeah (laughs) um but it's like even like for like 60 year olds haven't got boundaries with their parents but I think to even put it into the into outer space that that you've had these conversations because what we don't realize and it's uh, I've talked about this a lot on Instagram is how much and it's like you can literally take any comment that a mother will say about your body and you can put it through like like a diet culture translator and you get it out on the other side and it's what you were saying before about so much of it being from a place of love but it'll be like I don't know someone oh do you really need those extra roast potatoes and they're not saying that because you don't need the extra roast potatoes they're saying it because they would like the extra roast potatoes but diet culture's got them by the nipples so they can't have them so they're gonna lash out at you or are you gonna wear that it's probably because they wish they could wear that or whatever and that was a really like pivotal thing for me and it was only when I spoke to the people and realized that everybody experienced these comments and everybody was hurt by these comments because I wished that I was one of those people that someone could make a comment to and I'd just be like I don't need to take this but I did I took it all to heart I was like oh god and and it was only through really hearing what people were saying with the with how with what they were saying, if that makes sense. It was only by putting it through this translator that I basically realised that it was never about me. Yeah, and that's that's a massive thing within this mass, a hugely image based society that it's all a projection. 
but we just never talk about being being on the receiving end of that um and it, so many people are and and unwittingly by their parents and it's really important now as we all get older to hear from people like you so we know not to talk to our kids like that and yeah. just make, create a safer space for them to make their own decisions and peace around their body what would you say if you if you were meeting somebody like a new mum or a mum to a daughter or you were talking to them what do you think i don't know if you've ever done any inner child work <laughs> but what do you think your inner child could have done with when you were coming home from school being bullied or feeling insecure like what in an ideal world could your mom or guardian have said to you that would have made it better yeah well well first i'll just say like i think part of all of my commentary, even about like the future and about me feeling like I won't, you know, I'll never be at peace with my body is from watching my mom never be at peace with her body. Like my mom to this day, I'll see her. Maybe she won't like that. I'm saying this, but whatever, like she, I'll see her like in the bathroom, you know, saying like, Oh, I feel so bloated or like, Oh, I've gained weight. And she's never like, she is one of the it's in my mind and in actuality is one of the skinniest people I know and is just, you know, she is so caught up in her own body that I think when I was in elementary school, when I was little, I, I would come home and see that. And I, that was the mindset that I then got was just this constant obsession and criticism. And she got it from her mom who got it from her mom. And, and of course it's, it's a huge cycle. I think I was able to find not love all the time, but at least just acceptance and peace with my body when I was just aware of all of the things that were contributing. When I sort of started feeling like, no, like, fuck those companies that are trying to, like, profit off of the fact that, like, I feel bad about myself, like... No, that that's their problem. Like I'm not I am not going to feel bad about myself because someone is like making money off of that. I'm like not going to feel bad about myself so that like other girls at school can like laugh with each other about like the fact that I'm fat or whatever. Like no, screw them. Like I like I wanted to do it for myself, but I also wanted to do it just to like show everyone else that I could not look like them and could not, you know, be skinny like them and could still have a great time, which is not, doesn't always work. Like I, I mean, I'll just say like even going to, going to college, that whole adjustment period, I had sort of made circles for myself when I was in high school where I felt like weight was not talked about and weight was very much like out of the conversation and self-criticism was often out of the conversation. And I got to school and that was not the way that a lot of my friends had gone through their schooling. And so that was hard, was to come back and see girls that were a lot skinnier than me being like, oh, I feel so fat. I'm like, okay, well, I'm right here, so I don't know what you're trying to say. Um, but, you know, confidence and, and body acceptance is like such a eternal process, an ongoing process that – as 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 much as it is motivated by this sort of spite and by this like reality check, I think it's all just about honesty and and having grace and yeah. I guess I've 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 
gone pretty far away from talking to a my inner child about it. But I think, yeah, <laughs> just to come back, you know, you have to model for your children what you want them to do. As much as my mom told me to love my body, the example that she set of not loving her own, I think was very damaging to me. Because that's all you know. That's all you see. That's all you hear. That's all you pick up is your... Yeah. And of course, you compare yourself then if you have your mum who is thinner than you yeah. saying, mm. I feel fat, then you just think, well, what the fuck does that mean? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah well, I think we have to be really careful with our language around that. But in terms of our personal responsibility, we also know that her feelings aren't your responsibility. Mm-hmm. And... I think that's, I'm not saying this to you so much as to anybody listening who is also going through it. You don't need to make somebody else's insecurity your insecurity. Mm. And just because it's somebody else's reality, it doesn't mean necessarily that it's going to be yours. Um, Because like, I mean, I don't know if you know, Alex has written an amazing book, breaking down all this diet culture stuff. And it's called You're Not a Before Picture. And I think that's what it teaches. It's like you can break out of you're not going to press you're not going to push your own books i'm going to do it for you <laughs> but you can break the cycle because it has felt like a terminal cycle yeah. of just like yeah. whatever but you don't and it's like what you were saying about when you ask why which is what al does in this book really well but it's like if you ask why and you push enough back all the whys are so stupid yeah. that it just you're just like, oh, fuck that. Yeah. I'm not going to be miserable for all those like men making money from me. Exactly. And women feeling better about themselves to make me feel smaller. Yeah. Like, yeah. no thanks, not today. No. I know, it's so arbitrary. Yeah. But I think even like you were saying, it's at school when you were surrounded by people where like body image wasn't that big of a thing. Like even that, like that's so, we can't underestimate like how powerful that is. Mm -hmm. Even if we we live in this world where the overarching message is be thin, but the circles and your circle as well is so powerful. Like I feel like I'm in a, my space is pretty much like free of like diet talk, body talk. I don't know, it just, it just feels and I think that's normal until I realise it isn't. And like recently I was in an environment where for quite a few days where like people were like really sort of focused on body image and weight and what I was eating and are you in shape and, and stuff like this. And you feel that suddenly, you suddenly feel that sort of projected onto your own body and that starts to inform how you look and feel about your own body. So I think like we can't underestimate as well the power of like that was probably a tangent sorry but it was like on my mind since you said it no the yeah. power of uh, and 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 that's just like in a small way it, it's on a huge scale when you're a mum with your children especially your daughter and you're talking about your body that's on like a huge scale but even around you like your friends and the people that you're around if you can like stop talking about stuff like that and saying oh I feel fat I feel horrible I feel ugly you know I've I'm bloated I've put on so much weight and things like that that really does kind of it can it does just seep into your but on a practical level as well to recognize people are going to say that like we do live in this world so we have to arm ourselves and the people around us to not just because it's not good enough to say well don't say these things because people will always say these things what we have to learn to do is not to make it about us yeah 
when somebody says, I hate this, you know, like, because sometimes people are just saying, I hate this. And I, and, and my, um, I had a lot of life coaching before it. If somebody said like, oh, I hate my hair and I thought they had better hair than me, I'd be like, oh my God. And I'd sit and I'd spin. And I'm like, why am I, why have I done this? And like, and I can swap the thought totally from like making their hair about me because it wasn't about me and it was very egocentric for me to make it about me and instead be like, well, that's sad for you. And then just leave the thought there, totally. which I think is quite powerful, um, just in terms of like talking before about like breaking the cycle, because we, we are going to be in those environments where people talk about the body. And I, I, for me, just a really powerful thought is just like, OK, that's sad for you. Yeah, yeah, I think the two sort of tools that I have developed for myself that other people don't always like so much, but they work for me is... One, I think like what you both were having talking about, which is like pushing back against either just leaving it. It's like sometimes you just don't have the emotional energy. You just can't. Totally, you cannot make other people's problems your problem. But if I'm feeling a little bit more, you know, <laughs> strong, <laughs> some days I'll be like, well, why, why do you say that? Mm, what, yeah. like what? And because then if you can get p- other people to question their own ways of thinking about their body, whether it be about weight or, yeah, about their hair, whatever it is, you can maybe just start that process for them too, of them thinking, oh, like, why do I criticize myself so much? Why, why, what is the actual thing that I'm thinking, the actual insecurity, the actual anxiety that is at the root of my criticism that I feel the need to vocalize? Um, So that is one, like starting those conversations maybe also with others. And then two, I... I think I, I'm sure it was like a stupid Instagram infographic that I read this in, but you know, the whole thing that's like, if you make self-deprecating jokes all the time, your self-esteem is going to go down. Oh God, I do those all so, the <laughs> So I started doing the opposite, which my friends will attest to, whereas like I'll walk into a room and I'll just be like, oh, I'm the hottest person here. Like a hundred percent. Like there's just no, like, and when people don't know me, they're like, who the fuck is that? Like, why is she saying that? But my friends are used to it by now, I think. And yeah. like it obviously it's a joke. And and when I first started doing it, you like feel sort of like silly and insecure. But if your go-to, like candid, casual talk about yourself is positive, I just find myself being so much like lighter and, and happier. And it's my default is no longer criticism. Like my default is even if it's in a joking way to put myself up instead of put myself down. And it's like, it seems so small and so silly, but it is totally no, that's reframed genius. my mindset. I, I have Love that. literally never thought to think about that. Yeah. Ever. You should start. because I am going to start doing that. Yeah. That's, yeah. Because it's just as funny. Like it's, you know, no one is going to be like, I mean, maybe they will like be a little bit judgy about it, but it's awkward to walk into a room and ha- or like for someone to be like, oh my God, like I'm so fat. It's like, what what is someone else supposed to say to that? Whereas yeah, if you're like- It's very true. That's a bit of a buzzkill. Yeah. For, when you walk into yeah. a party, oh God. And, and then, you know, one put, if you if you shut down when you walk in, you kind of ruin it for yourself. Right. And maybe even for the other people that you're with, but what a vibe to come in and be like- Shit. Yeah. yeah. Oh my God, I love that. See, my best friend's yeah. done that about herself for years. I was going to say. She's yeah. had a lot of airtime today. My best mate, Sarah, honestly, what she's just like, I am fucking stunning. And just talks, <laughs> yeah. you know, like her standards for herself. She's just so, but she's, and she, I mean, she is, but she's also just got this 
glorious confidence. And I just love it. I think let's yeah. all let's all do that. Let's all do that. Let's all be yeah. more That's Betty. really cool. I love that. BM, can we put that on a fridge magnet? Be more Betty. Be more Betty. I love that. Be Get more new Betty. rings. Say be more I Betty. need a new yeah. ring. BMB. BMB. I love that. Betty, thank you so much for thank coming. Thank you so much for having me. This was such an awesome conversation. Such a cool I conversation. And absolutely just love chatting to you. And yeah, thank you. And enjoy the rest of your time in London. Thank so cool. you. Yeah, thank you for sweat. flying all the way from New York to just, just to, to talk to us. Of course, yes. Actually, I'm flying out tonight. So yeah, yeah. I'm going the back. Eye back. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Thank you so stuff. much. Of course. Should I delete that is part of the ACAS Creator Network. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum.